Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom, priest serving his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Let us come to God in prayer. God, we sit before you as children, just as childlike as those who just sat on our steps of our chancel, just as childlike as the, the child who was just baptized, eager to listen and to learn and to delight and to grow in our understanding of you and of this life you wish for us to live. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O Lord our God, our rock and our redeemer, Amen. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. That is such a great start to the sermon, if I do say so myself. (laughs) But I'm not alone in thinking it a great start to a sermon or a speech. Paul began in his letters to the early churches, his letters by saying grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we heard this morning, the apocalyptic writer John used these words in Revelation to to introduce his vision that described the coming of a new heaven and a new earth where God would make God's home among mortals and wipe every tear from every eye for death and mourning and pain would be no more. Grace and peace make for great beginnings and great endings too. In the mid to late 90s, when the internet was blossoming into its ubiquity, the pastor of my childhood church sent weekly emails that he called mouse calls. Mouse calls were short devotions based on snippets of scripture, very much the predecessor to what you might see in a blog today. And they were named after the house calls that pastors still from time to time make and from those mousy-like wired contraptions that some of us still use to navigate our computer screens even in this age of touchscreens and trackpads. Pastor Bill's mouse calls were 
highly anticipated. Every time I saw one pop up in my inbox, I was eager to open it and read it. They were a tremendous help to me, each of them. But I cannot remember a single one of them. I do remember, though, how Pastor Bill ended his mouse calls. Before signing away his name, he would conclude with this blessing, grace and peace, Pastor Bill. And that's why I think those messages he sent were so memorable, even though I couldn't remember them. As much as an email could do such a thing, his mouse calls moved me, and they helped move me, a stressed out student overwhelmed by the uncertainties of young adulthood, to a place of greater grace and greater peace. They led me to a new way of being and seeing, even if just for a moment. John's words, I believe, were meant to have the same effect on his listeners, and perhaps also on us. John began his vision with the blessing of grace and peace because that is where his vision would take its readers to a place of grace and of peace. His blessing was the starting point of a journey, a hard and tumultuous one to be sure, but one that ended in the gift of favor, that is grace for God's people. Now we understand the words grace and peace not being magical in and of themselves. We don't simply say grace and peace to someone and suddenly they suddenly feel it. There's a power in those words, however, especially as they are lodged in this text, that indicate that they are the antecedent, the begin, the initiation, the inauguration of a great journey. We look at the way John follows his grace to you and peace with the statement about God who is and was and who is to come, we hearken back to the journey of the people of God in the book of Exodus, which is itself is the great journey that they made from the bondage of slavery in Egypt to the freedom of the promised land. In Exodus, Moses asked God a question. If I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God's answer was, I am who I am, which we could also translate as, I am who I will be. God gives a name which is a verb, not a noun, a verb whose meaning is unclear in the moment but unfolds over time as the people of God observe and experience what God does for them on this great journey to their freedom. When John, the writer of this apocalypse, speaks of God who is and was and is to come, he is hearkening back to that liberating journey of old, and he is framing the entire life of faith in terms of that journey to that new heaven and that new earth of God's grace and God's peace. The blessing of grace and peace that we hear in today's text, and that I hope that you will hear and share elsewhere, implies movement on that journey, a movement that we are on today. When we baptized James, we shared these words from John, 
not just to bless him in this particular moment, but as a promise of the blessing that is to come, of the holy movement in his life, of his going to God and God coming to him for every moment of his existence. This movement is at the heart of our worship for us in this church. I lament a little that our pews only have handrails at the ends because we all need them, because we are all in motion as the people of God. We celebrate not just what God has done or has given to us here. We celebrate where God is sending us, where we are going. We are still very much on the way, in motion. At this moment, we are on a planet that spins and orbits constantly. So nothing that we know is really truly still. But the question for us is whether we can perceive this movement to be part of God's loving design. Whether all that is happening, has happened, or will happen shall lead us somehow to the God whose past and present, or excuse me, who's got, a God whose past and whose future are very much connected to our present. As Larry said in the announcements, Next week we begin Advent, which is a season of anticipation. We anticipate Christ's coming by preparing to celebrate, celebrate Christ's birth. And there's a great paradox here in that we are essentially looking ahead by remembering and anticipating a moment that occurred in the past. It calls to mind another email I received, this time from a professional who's um, for whom English is not his first language. And in, in anticipation of his sending the latest progress of our shared project, he wrote to me and said, you will heard from me very soon. You will heard from me very soon. Bad, bad grammar, great theology. For his mashup of tenses is very much like the God whose past and whose future are vitally linked, just as the revelation at the end of Scripture is very much tied to the exodus found near its beginning. Go, God said, from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, Jesus would say after his resurrection. Our faith holds fast to the reality of movement that takes us to new and future places that are actually not far from where we were in the beginning. With our white pyramids today, which will return again on Christmas Eve, our liturgical calendar sets this day as a transitional Sunday called Christ the King Sunday, the day when we honor the reign of Christ. When we think of kinship or kingship, we typically think of order, of castles surrounded by protective moats, of dominion and control. Kings of this world exert their power to keep life as it is, but with power born in weakness, Christ as king will move to fashion life as it will be. 
Whereas kings often are overthrown, Christ as king is the one who will do the overthrowing to restore the order of creation. With cataclysmic imagery, John narrates this overthrow. And the power of John's vision comes not in the precise order of the seven seals of the apocalypse or the composition of the seven bowls of wrath. The power lies in the ultimate movement from and to grace and peace that John offers at the beginning and describes at the end to enable his readers in the present to continue with their journey. Our call then today and our invitation is to receive this blessing of grace and of peace and to share it with others so that they and that we may continue on our journey. When John and Paul of Scripture wrote great and pe- grace and peace, we can assume that they did not make these words up, that they were not the ones stringing them together for the first time, but that someone had said grace and peace to them and that they internalized that blessing in such a way that they could share it. In the same way that I sometimes conclude my emails by saying grace and peace, not because it's something that I've concocted, but because it's something that was given to me as a blessing. Grace and peace can only come from me or you to the extent that you or I have previously had that grace and peace offered to us. As people on the go, we would benefit from hearing and sharing this blessing. Blessings seem to be in such short supply these days. In a world of text messages and tweets, we have lost the salutations and the valedictions, the dear sir and the warm regards that once characterized our communications with one another. Can you imagine typing or receiving a text that said, Dearest loved one, I am stopping to get gas and will be home in 20 minutes. With all of my heart, in warmest regards, me. It seems that our communications nowadays so emphasize getting quickly to the point, getting gas, home soon, that we might be missing the point. Maybe it's time we pay attention to how we begin and end our communications and be more intentional about offering our sincerities and our warmest regards, not out of formality, but out of a desire to help others be moved to places of grace and peace a movement that we believe to be at the heart of a life with God. Maybe it's time just simply to watch our language, how we speak with ourselves and how we speak to others. Do we offer words of blessing or do we give them words that diminish? When we become fluent in profanity, our lives can become more profane. If we drop a lot of four-letter words, we are more than likely to step in one of them or cause others to do the same. Our words and our inclinations, they matter. Right now, there are nearly 5,000 Central Americans who are making their own exodus journey through Mexico to our country's border. What is the language we use to speak to them or about them? Irrespective of our political beliefs or what we might deem right 
in terms of policy? What if we said to those people in our hearts, grace to you and peace from God who is and who was and who is to come? Would it not be that in saying that to them, our own hearts would be enlarged, more likely and apt to hold grace and peace? Might we see their journey as inextricably tied to our own as we trudge through the dangers and turmoils of life to the time when mourning and crying and pain will be no more? On this Christ the King Sunday, we remember that Christ's reign began not with a coup, but a blessing. The blessing of grace and peace from a God who is and who was and who is to come. And so, dear loved ones, take hold of that blessing so that God may move in you and God may move in us to the freedom of that new heaven and that new earth that awaits all of the saints of God. With warmest regards, amen.